Well, I want to start with a couple of questions. Do you ever feel like you have more to get done than you could possibly ever get done? Anyone ever feel that way? Do you ever sometimes worry that you're not doing a good enough job at work or at school or as a parent or as a Christian even? Do you ever feel stress about work or parenting or anything else? Do you, do you ever not feel stress about all of those things? If you think any of that describes the person next to you, would you please nod your head? Because that person is a mess, and you really need to listen to this sermon because they, it's quite possible that they are a perfectionist, successaholic with a terrible fear of failure. And you're going to need to listen to this sermon to help them. They're going to need an intervention. You don't need it, of course, but... They do. Perfectionism, addiction to success, fear of failure, that is a part of our everyday lives, isn't it? And you see that in the story that we read today where two women named Mary and Martha have invited Jesus to dinner and Martha is busy cooking all the food, right? And Mary sits at Jesus' feet and listens to him. So Martha comes roaring out of the kitchen and says, Jesus, make her help. And Jesus says, no, Mary's doing the right thing. Now, one woman told me she actually finds this story kind of liberating in that here's someone trying to force a woman back into the kitchen and Jesus says, no way. However, my wife hates this story because she thinks that Mary should get off her keister and help her sister. How many of you agree with that? (laughs) Right. Amen, right? Actually, Mary was helping, but I'll get to that in a minute. The issue here is not that Martha was doing something wrong. This, is not, this has been preached sometimes as a sermon about doers versus prayers, and the prayers are better. That's not what's going on here. I'll get to that in a minute. Martha was not doing something wrong. She was doing a good thing. She was serving, and Jesus calls us to be servants and to be doers. And in that culture, hospitality was such a high value that sometimes people would spend as much as a month's wages just on one dinner so that they could be good hosts. So tons of pressure around hospitality. And Martha was just trying to get it right. Little Martha Stewart just wanted to be the perfect host, right? But in a way, that's the problem. Because she's operating out of a paradigm that says, I either get it perfect or I get it wrong. I either work myself to death to succeed or I'm a failure. And because of that, she overdoes it. She goes too far. Because she doesn't want to be, a, she wants, she's a perfectionist and she doesn't want to be a failure, success, failure. And there's no third alternative. But as we've been preaching all fall, whenever Jesus was faced with a bunch of lousy options, he always chose none of the above and found a third way instead. And when it comes to our addiction to success, our fear of failure and the perfectionism that that drives, I think we need a third way. Now, I need to say, just parenthetically, nothing wrong with being, quote, successful. Good job, good money. Nothing wrong with that. Those things can be very good things as long as they do not become our focus. But let's be honest. For most of us, success is our focus. Because our world's paradigm is you're either a winner or a loser. You either get it right or you get it wrong. It's like a computer code. It's a zero or a one. You're either zero or number one, and there's no room in the middle for the rest of us. And that produces a lot of stress, a lot of pressure, a lot of fear of failure, because none of us want to fail. A woman told me a while back she had her eight-year-old grandson here in church with her, and he was taking notes on my sermon. And at one point, I told a story of eating three dozen cookies in this sermon, just kind of a side story, right? So her grandson wrote down on his notes, Pastor ate 36 cookies, right? Like, that's what he took from my sermon. 
Guess what that sermon was on? Fasting. Okay, so totally missed the point, right? Total fail, right? Epic fail. None of us want that. We, 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 want, we, and there's, we feel all this pressure because of that to succeed, to get it right, to be perfect. And you see that fear in the story where it says Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. And the word for distracted in Greek actually means to be dragged away from, as in wild horses, Right? And, and, and that, which indicates, I think, that Martha wanted to be in the living room listening to Jesus' teaching like Mary was, but she was being dragged away by her fear of failure and her need to be the perfect hostess. And that's the problem with the success-failure paradigm. We feel so much pressure to get it right that we end up being dragged away from the things that really matter. So worried to succeed at work that we have no time for friends or family. So worried to be the perfect parent. I know sometimes I do this. So fixated on being the perfect dad that then I can get obsessed about little things that don't really matter. You know, how my kids talk or dress or something like that and neglect the bigger issues of their character in our relationship. I remember once being at Chuck E. Cheese, a.k.a. Hell on Earth. (laughs) Right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay, this is funny. The last service applauded at that line, too. So obviously, you've all been there and experienced the misery. Anyway, I was at Chuck E. Cheese, and there was this mom who just lost it at, at, at her daughter's birthday party. I mean, she had all these games she wanted the kids to play. She'd ordered the perfect cake, but they delivered the wrong one, right? And in the end, she was yelling at the kids, stressed out, miserable. Now, I'm sure behind that was a desire to give her daughter a great birthday, but she got so fixated on it being just perfect that she ended up making everyone miserable. But Jesus offers a third alternative between stressed out, perfectionistic, successaholics and depressed failures. And Mother Teresa puts this third alternative better than anyone I've ever heard. When a reporter once said to her, you're not very successful, are you? Because most of the people you serve die. Mother Teresa said, God has not called me to be successful. He has called me to be faithful. And that's the third way. And this is the good news. Guys, Jesus is in this room and he is not demanding that you be perfect or that you be successful. He is not demanding that you make VP at your firm or that you're the perfect parent. He's not going to ask those questions of you on judgment day. He's going to ask, were you faithful? Well, what does that mean? Well, I think this story that we read today gives us two things. You're getting off easy today. Two things about what, not three, two, about what being faithful means. I know a Presbyterian is supposed to be three, but it's two, but you're still not getting out early, so don't get any ideas. <laughs> Going in depth on these two, okay? Two things, <laughs> have I established that? About how we break out of the success-failure paradigm and all the stress that it causes and instead seek faithfulness. First, to be faithful as opposed to perfect means this. We keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is focus on Jesus. In response to Martha's anxiety, Jesus says, Oh, Martha, Martha. No one knows why he says her name twice. I've always wondered if it's because she wouldn't stop talking, right? So, Martha, Martha, take him. (laughs) There are other places, though, where Jesus says something twice. It's actually a sign of lament. So it could be lament. It could be sympathy. Martha, Martha, you are stressed out and worried and anxious about many things. Does that describe anyone here? But only one thing is needful. In other words, many things are good, but what is the best thing? 
Cooking the food is a good thing, but is it the best thing in that particular moment? Because here's the sad thing about Martha's perfectionism. She's missing a miracle. Jesus is God in the flesh right there, and she's missing it because of her perfectionism. The main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing, and the main thing is focus on Jesus. It comes down to one word, relationship, with him and with each other. Focus on Jesus, and then practice the presence of Jesus. Well, what does that mean, practice the presence of Jesus? Well, it means this, in your office, in your home, wherever you are, every minute of the day, Jesus is right there. Pay attention to his presence, as Mary does in this story, and ask him, Lord, in my office today, or in this conversation I'm in right now, Jesus, what do you want to do right here, right now? Focus on Jesus. That's the main thing. And that's what Mary does in this story. And the result is she is free of all the stress her sister has. See, what Jesus is basically saying here is, Martha, Martha, the difference between you and Mary is this. You have all these things you think you need to be happy. You've got to get it just so, just perfect, just right to be happy. You need all these things. Mary just needs me. You see, so much of happiness depends on what we focus on. There's a, s- a survey of college students done not too long ago that asked only two questions. How do you feel about life? How many dates have you gone on this year? If they asked the question in that order, life satisfaction scores were actually very high. But if they reversed it and asked, how many dates have you gone on first, and then how do you feel about your life, guess what happened? Life satisfaction scores plummeted. You see, if we focus on all the many things our culture tells us we need to have to be happy, we're miserable. That's what Jesus means when he says, Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. In other words, if we focus on Jesus and what he's doing, he fills us up. We feel his presence. And that gives us joy that cannot be taken away because it is grounded in the things that will never go away. Jesus and his kingdom. You see, success, accomplishments, all of those can be very good things. They're fine if they come our way and are not our focus. But they do not last. There's a man named Chan Gailey who was football coach at Alabama's Troy State. And he tells a story about having a winning season And the week before they were to play the national championship, he was headed out to the field for practice when the secretary called him back to take a phone call from Sports Illustrated. And he was really excited, you know, Sports Illustrated, that's the big time. So he was walking back, formulating quotes to give the, you know, give for, you know, about their great season. So when he got on the phone, the person said, is this Chan Gailey? And he said, yeah. The person said, well, this is Sports Illustrated and your subscription is running out. Would you like to renew? You see, success does not last even when you're in the middle of it. But faithfulness, which is about keeping the main thing the main thing, focus on Jesus, that brings joy. All right, brings me to the second and the last point about what being faithful means. And that is that faithfulness means we major in the majors, minor in the minors, and we don't sweat the small stuff. Martha's issue is she has made major what Jesus would call minor. The major issue is community and closeness with Jesus. The dinner was just meant to facilitate all of that. But Martha turned that into the major thing, the end goal, and she overdid it. According to the customs back then, all you needed to show hospitality was one item. That's it. right? In other words, you don't need a 10-course meal, Martha. Just bring a casserole. That'll do. Open up a can of mac and cheese or whatever, right? In other, she's overdone it. You see, being a servant is important, but she was going too far. This is not a story about doers versus prayers. We need to be doers, just not overdo it. 
In fact, the text says that Mary left Martha, which implies that Mary was in the kitchen too, helping Martha out. It's just that Mary knew when enough was enough. Did you hear me, Eastsiders? Mary knew when enough was enough. Do you know when enough is enough? This story does not say all we should do is sit around and pray all day long and not be doers. It's sandwiched between the Good Samaritan, which is all about serving, and is followed by the Lord's Prayer, which is about connecting to Jesus. We need to do both, what Jesus says to do, but also knowing when enough is enough and to focus on Jesus instead and major on the things that are major and minor on the minor things. Problem here is Martha has added all kinds of burdens that Jesus did not place on her. In fact, if we are too busy, that is the first sign that we're doing something Jesus did not ask us to do. And Jesus says this, I never said to you, I didn't place those burdens on you. I never said do 10 things at church. One or two, maybe, but not 10. I never said you had to make partner by the time you were 35. Be a good worker, yes, but don't overdo it. Just give it its due. I never said you had to have your kids in private school because everyone around you says that's what's to do, even if it's killing you financially. I have not called you to be successful. I'm asking you to be faithful. So here's a definition of faithfulness. Faithfulness is doing the best we can with the resources we have. Best we can with the resources of time, talent, and treasure that we have on the things that really matter. Not the minor things, the major things. And what are those? They come down to three F's for Jesus. Following Jesus, family, friends. Those are the major things. And Jesus says, don't do those perfectly. I'm not asking you to do those perfectly, but do them faithfully. And then give the minor things they're due, but don't go overboard on them. Now, there's going to be a cost to that. I need to be honest. There's, there are costs to doing this because bosses and friends and spouses and pastors, we have all kinds of things we think are major for you. May not be what Jesus thinks is major for you. So there will be a cost, but also many rewards. My wife understands this very well. She actually understands most things better than I do. She really gets this. Before we were married, she worked at Hewlett Packard. And she worked hard, but she would never give it more than it's due. And she had to train her bosses over the years about things like not to ask her to do overtime unless it was absolutely necessary. I mean, yeah, she would do overtime because, you know, sometimes there are seasons in a job where you have to work overtime and stuff like that. But, but, she, wouldn't do, but, but she wouldn't make that always, and she would try to limit that. She made it clear to her bosses that her primary focus was our marriage, our spiritual life, and our ministry to students, which we were volunteering at that time, and we felt like that God had said, this is how I want you to be part of what I'm doing in the world. So she limited it. She worked sometimes overtime when she had to, but kept it limited, right? Now, as a result, she did not climb the corporate ladder as fast as she could have, which, by the way, for a Stanford student is unheard of, not to climb the corporate ladder, okay? I mean, that's like Stanford blasphemy. I mean, you can go to Stanford jail for that, right? Now, she got a promotion or two over the years, the ones God wanted her to have, but more importantly, she had time for God, our marriage, friends, ministry, all of which brought rich rewards of friendship and a sense of significance and feeling Jesus' presence. So, here is a prayer I invite you to pray. It's a version of the serenity prayer. Some of you have heard it. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I can't change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Great prayer. But I've changed it a little bit. Here's a different version. Here's the Eastsiders prayer, okay? <laughs> God grant me the energy to give my best to that which deserves my best, the courage to half-bake that which should be half-baked, 
and the wisdom to know the difference. Focus on Jesus, major on the majors, minor on the minors. Don't sweat the small stuff. When my son was five, he said he wanted to play soccer, so we signed him up. But when it came time for the first practice, he was really nervous to go. So I walked with him to the field, met the coach with him. And then when it was time for the soccer to uh, start the practice, my son just sat down on the ground and wouldn't budge. Right? And I tried coaxing him. The coach tried, you know. He wouldn't budge. He wouldn't move. It was awkward. (laughs) Meanwhile, I looked around at all the other moms and dads dropping their five-year-olds off, willingly running to soccer practice. You know, happy families, Bellevue families with moms that bake cookies and dads who raise sons who willingly go to soccer practice, right? (laughs) And all of my fears of failure and all of my need to get it perfect and all of my need not only to be a good dad, but more importantly in that moment to appear to be a good dad because after all, one of those other families might go to the church, right? And how's it look if the pastor's kid is not going to soccer practice? So I said, come on, buddy, let's go. It'll be fun, right? Nothing. He wouldn't move. So then I resorted to the true essence of parenting, bribes and threats, right? If you don't go, then no video for a week, but if you go, I'll give you a cookie or whatever. That didn't work either, right? So then I said things like, man up, shake it off, get a grip, and other things that also weren't helpful. (laughs) Finally, I said, okay, we'll go home, but no video for a week because you did not follow through on a commitment you made. So we got in the car, and as we drove out of the parking lot, he said, I want to play soccer. I know normally I would have said too late, but I could tell he really wanted to do it. He was just paralyzed with fear. So I drove back, parked, opened the door, wouldn't get out of the car. (laughs) Wouldn't budge, right? So back to bribes and threats, bribes and threats. No, it didn't work. So we drove off a block later. I want to play soccer. Went back. We did this four times. (laughs) By the end of the fourth time, I was insane, completely insane. All I wanted was for him to play soccer. What happens if he doesn't play soccer? Sports are important to develop character. Sports is a social skill he'll need, especially as a boy. And if he doesn't play soccer, his life will be ruined and he'll end up a hippie. (laughs) I skipped a few steps, but somehow I got right to hippie. Okay, do you think I mixed up major and minor in that moment? And then, suddenly, words from sermons I'd preached before started floating through my head. It's one of the most irritating things about being a pastor. But just when you're getting a good sin on, your own words come back to you. (laughs) Phrases such as teachable moment and what's important here is his character floated through my mind with irritating clarity. So I prayed, Jesus, Jesus, what do you want to do? Focused on Jesus, what do you want to do in this moment? with my son. So then I got an idea. I parked the car, I got in the back seat with him, and I said, you know what, bud, I sometimes get nervous to do new new things too. I get that, and I understand that. So what do you think would be a good way to get over being nervous? And he said, to go home. And I said, well, that fixes it for today, but what about the next time? And I don't want you to be nervous about every new thing you face for the rest of your life. So I said, how about this? I got an idea. Let's go back, but to start with, you and I will just kick the soccer ball back and forth on the sideline, okay? And then if you want to join the practice, you can. If you want to go home, we'll do that. He liked that, so that's what we did. In about five minutes, he joined the soccer practice, had a great time. He's been playing soccer ever since. Driving home that afternoon after the practice, I asked him, what'd you learn today? He said, how to kick a soccer ball. I said, well, other than that... And he said, if I just try something new, I may have fun. That was five years ago. 
I still use that phrase with him when he's nervous about something new. If you just try something new, you might have fun. In fact, a couple months ago, I was nervous about something, and he said, Dad, if you just try something new, you might have fun. So now he can preach back at me, right? When I got my eyes off my idea of success and my need to look like the perfect dad, focused on Jesus instead and what he was doing in that situation, he showed me what the major thing was, my son's character and our relationship, and that soccer was minor. And the stress I felt just started to evaporate because it wasn't about the soccer anymore. And I felt Jesus right there helping me to get closer to my son. And it, and it gave both of us joy that wasn't based on soccer or success or anything like that, but on something deeper. It's as if Jesus was saying to me, oh, Dudley, Dudley, you are worried and anxious about many things, especially soccer, but I'm not asking you to be the perfect dad who raises the next David Beckham. I'm asking you to be faithful in this moment to focus on me and what I'm doing and do the best you can with what you have. It was a great moment. Now, I need to say that story makes me sound like a better dad than I actually am. There have been many other weird moments, but in that one moment, I was free from the pressure to succeed and perform and instead felt Jesus helping me simply to be a faithful dad. So where are you obsessing over getting it just right? This week, will you focus on Jesus and what he's doing Will you ask what's major here and what's minor and what's truly trivial? And will you do the best you can at those things that require your best, half-bake those things that ought by right to be half-baked, and ask Jesus to give you the wisdom to know the difference? Because here's the thing, everywhere else in your life and mine, everywhere else, there is pressure to perform. At work, from the boss, in school, in your neighborhood, there is pressure to succeed, pressure to perform, pressure to get it just right. Everywhere in your life, except this one place, this one place in your relationship with Jesus, you are free from all of those expectations. Jesus is in this room, and he is talking to you. And Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you to be perfect. I'm not asking you to be successful. I am only asking you to be faithful in following me. There's a whole lot of freedom in that, guys, and a whole lot more joy than our culture offers. So Jesus, we ask that you help us do just that. Help us to focus on you, major on what really is major, and just give the rest its due. Lord, somewhere between failure and success, somewhere between our worst and our best, somewhere from this moment to the next to the next, help us to find faithfulness, and we will give you all the glory. In your name, Jesus. Amen.